This is Inside Berkeley. I'm Kim Ashton. In this edition of Inside Berkeley, we talked to Ken Zambello, a professor in Berkeley's ensemble department who's been the musical director of the annual Singer Showcase concert since 1985, two years after it started. The theme of the concert this year, which will be at the Berkeley Performance Center on April 6th, is a tribute to Elvis Presley. The show will be part of Elvis Week at Berkeley, marking the 40th anniversary of the iconic performer's death. The week will include workshops, panels, and guest speakers sponsored by Berkeley's Institute for Creative Entrepreneurship. And each day will be dedicated to a different theme, including the style of Elvis, the legacy of Elvis, building the Elvis brand, and of course, the music of Elvis. Festivities will culminate with a singer showcase which features some of Berkeley's finest student vocalists. Ken Zambello, welcome to Inside Berkeley. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Elvis was such an influential figure. As Berkeley's resident rock historian, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how popular music would be different today if there had never been an Elvis. Ah, boy, that's that's going to be a hard one to describe. I mean, that would mean like, you know, going back in a time machine and like, Mm -hmm. you know, eliminating him or burning down Sun Recording Studios or something. So I don't, I have no idea. I mean, I can only look at what he did at that time period, which was that he was the first international superstar of rock and roll music. He was the one that helped to bring it widely into the mainstream. I mean, it started to kind of creep in there by 1955, but he was the one that made rock and roll a household name. And uh, I mean, with 1956, he just slaughtered the competition everywhere. So, I mean, his influence is huge. It helped to bring it to the mainstream, which, you know, started it off on the path that it grew into today. So what was he doing that had never been done before that that was able to make these big breakthroughs? Well, if we go back to Sun Records, Sam Phillips had a very simple philosophy because he had been recording country acts, but also rhythm and blues. And he basically said, you know, like trying to promote an African-American artist back in 1954 was next to impossible. So he said, if I can just find a white guy who has that same, you know, R&B sound, then I can promote him and the sound will be popular and then I can make big money. Now, he couldn't do that because Sun Records was so small. So they sold Presley's contract to RCA in 1956. So RCA was a large label and they were able to like, you know, promote him and get him television appearances to sort of like get him going. So he was... I mean, in 1956, he had a whole slew of number one records that were considered to be rock and roll, you know, appearing on Ed Sullivan, making movies right out of the bat. So he he brought it to the mainstream and he was, you know, marketable and promotable. And even the controversy that stirred up with like, you know, the hip swiveling and the leg gyration, that was a fantastic case of negative publicity is better than no publicity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the furor surrounded by, you know, his stage presence is what built him up into this huge, you know, star that had, you know, a little bit to do with it as well. The combination of good press and the controversial press, as we all know, works like gangbusters. And what do you think was going on in popular culture at the time uh, in the U.S. and worldwide that he was speaking to, that he really tapped into? Well, I think just, you know, basically, you know, helping to, you know, people get over there like repressed you know, <laughs> inhibitions, you know, I mean, rock and roll at that point when you other and it's not just him, other performers like Little Richard and Chuck Berry and others, they were putting on a show. They were exhibiting stage presence and energy. And for a lot of people, that was just something so new compared to what was on the radio and television prior to that. Now, my parents, they grew up in the 50s and 60s listening to Elvis. So I heard Elvis growing up because they were still listening to him when I was um, little. But students today their parents are are younger, and they they didn't grow up hearing Elvis in the household for most of them. 
How connected do they feel to his music? Well, I can only go by the singers that I've been working with for this singer showcase for the last couple of weeks. And when they, when 20 or so singers came into the callbacks, they had a really nice mix of different Elvis songs that they did. Because for the callbacks, they could do one song of their own choosing and one song from Elvis's repertoire. Now, Elvis's repertoire is wide ranging. It's not just the old stuff from the 50s. It's all the movie music. It's all the, the cover songs he did. I mean, he's covered every artist from Frank Sinatra to Simon and Garfunkel to Neil Diamond to, you know, Willie Mae Thorne and everybody in between. So he's covered a wide variety of music. So I was very impressed with the songs that the students came in. And musicians are aware of his songs. I mean, you know, if you're a good musician and you're well-rounded, um, then they're aware of what's going on. So, and the they all came in with very good suggestions on songs they would like to sing at the concert, and I was actually able to incorporate a good percentage of them into what their song choices are. So as far as the students in this show, they're very well versed in his music, you know, some more than others, but they certainly know, you know, what the songs are. And what are some of their favorites? Uh, well, I don't want to give away too much, but for example, <laughs> um, songs that were suggested by them that we are going to be able to do in the show include uh, That's All Right. You know, which was done in 1946 by Arthur Crudup. Um, My Way was the song that came in there. Everybody wanted to do Can't Help Falling in Love With You. Mm-hmm. Now, only one of them gets to do it, but a lot of them had that sort of like in their, that was on their, all of their lists pretty much had that song on there. Um, Little List Conversation, because of the remake that was done a few years ago, was, you know, a popular one as well. Um, some of the real bluesy songs like Trouble or Hurt. Um, even like, you know, like It's Now or Never, you know, came in, somebody did a nice audition version of that in the callbacks, you know, sort of like an acoustic kind of a feel. Um, Hound Dog, you know, certainly in there as well. The classics. Yeah. Um, and, and you did mention that A Little Less Conversation, there was a, a popular remix a few mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. How do you hear Elvis's influence in today's popular music? Well, um, I don't know if, you can really define it as far as like, oh, this guy sounds like him or this music sounds like that. I think he started the ball rolling in the 50s, which led into the 60s, which led into the 70s. So it's sort of like, you know, it's it's like water flowing downhill. So, I mean, everything that happens today eventually can like sort of be traced back to the roots, you know, in the 50s, 60s and 70s. So I don't know if there's any specific song or artist you can say, oh, boom, here we go. You know, I mean, it'll pop up every once in a while, and there's certain versions here and there. Um, I mean, as far as like contemporary stuff, like right now, like the 21st century, it's hard for me to say. I don't listen to as much of it unless I actually, it's sort of like my assignment to listen to it. Like if somebody's doing a song, then I'll do it. You know, I'm sure there's probably some Bruno Mars stuff that's got some influence from like, you know, the, the classic like rock and roll doo-wop and, mm-hmm. you know, type of era. So you can kind of get it generally that way. And every once in a while, there'll be kind of like, you know, a little remix here and there. Like there's a nice, really cool remake of Blue Suede Shoes that I heard. I play a lot of Elvis gigs myself. I play bass and I sing vocals. And I've been doing Elvis tribute band gigs since 1993. Mm -hmm. So just recently, I was doing a big show for a guy that, you know, does Elvis and, you know, all over the place. And there was this really hopped up remake of Blue Suede Shoes that we did that uh, we're going to incorporate into our particular show. So you still hear remakes here and there and... And, you know, tributes. I think one of the great tributes of all time, uh, the Queen song, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Mm -hmm. That was Freddie Mercury being Elvis. Yeah. So, you know, if you ever hear like an old, you know, rockabilly kind of a thing from anybody, you know, that's a little bit of that Elvis kind of, you know, influence going on. And I'm sure the students are going to be putting their own 
modern twists on on Elvis classics at the show. Yeah, we're not doing everything. We're not copying, and I wouldn't want to copy. My job is to make sure that the students are put in a position that what their talent is, that they sound great on it. So, you know, sometimes it might be doing it old school like Elvis. Sometimes it'll be like doing it more contemporary, depending on the artist and the songs that we've chosen. As I mentioned in the intro, the Singer Showcase has been an annual tradition at Berkeley since 1983. And getting a spot in the show isn't easy. Can you tell me a little bit about what the show is and what the competition is like to perform in it? Well, way back in 1983, a former uh, administrative uh, person and sax player Larry Monroe and Rob Rose, who's currently vice president for special programs, they wanted to develop a show that would give vocalists at Berkeley a chance to show what they could do and also to work on their stage craft and their just overall performing and just to basically put like a high level vocal showcase on just to give people a chance to, you know, perform at a high level. The very first semester, I think they maybe auditioned about maybe 40 people and chose about like eight singers. And it was very popular right from the very beginning. And since then, the amount of people who tried out for it kept on increasing. Uh, currently, to this day, depending on the semester, we'll audition anywhere from like 100 to about 145 or 50 students for in the spring or fall semester. And from there, we narrow it down to a callback audition, which could be anywhere from like 20 to about 24 singers. And from there, we then narrow down the people who are performing in the show, which could be anywhere from 8 to 10 vocalists. So... It's a it's fairly stiff competition that's been going on for a long time. Yeah, it sounds like it's gotten tougher and tougher over the years to be part of the the program. Well, especially since the amount of vocal majors and singers in general, they've now overtaken the guitar players. So there's a lot more of them to try out. And uh, so what does the audition consist of? The opening auditions uh, occur on a Monday night. I have three teams of faculty who work for me and uh, singers will come in and with just piano accompaniment or maybe guitar or something like that, they will sing one song anywhere from like 90 seconds to like a minute and 45. And that's all they get. And from that one song, we, you know, just judge them on seven different categories. We put numbers on it and the highest numbers go to the callbacks. If there's any tiebreakers that happen, then the decisions are made based on stylistic diversity. In addition to these vocalists, who else will be in the concert this year? Well, the student band is, uh, you know, fairly big. We have a big rhythm section. We have some horns this year. I think we're going to have like a small string section. We, aside from the lead vocalists, though, we also have like a, a troop of background vocalists whose job is to sing backgrounds for like all the different songs. And we are also bringing in some dancers from Boston Conservatory who are doing some choreography to a couple different select songs that are happening as well. And I understand that the award-winning a cappella group Pitch Slapped will be performing as well. Yes, they uh, let me know way back in the beginning of the semester that they were interested in auditioning as a group. You can audition as a soloist or you can audition as part of a group or a duet. You can't do both. And uh, when they let me know that they wanted to audition, then we made sure we had a big enough room to fit them in. And it was the first time in their existence that they ever decided to get together and audition for Singer Showcase. So we're happy to have them. So you've been doing this for 33 years, and that's that's a lot of themes to think up every year. How do you go about choosing a theme for a year? We actually didn't start doing themes until maybe, I don't know, about six or seven years ago. Um, we would occasionally do something like, I know that we did like a 25th anniversary concert where we did, you know, music from, um, you know, we brought in actually a lot of like, you know, alumni, you know, to perform like Layla Hathaway and Susan Tedeschi and, and Paula Cole and a few others. And so... 
you know, that was sort of one type of theme. And then I think when we did the 30th anniversary, we picked for the second half, we picked music that had been performed or written by showcase alumni. So we were able to use like songwriters like Claude Kelly, you know, and stuff like that. Um, the first real theme that we, I think we did recently, maybe time's flying by. I don't even remember how long ago it was. It could have been five or six years ago. Um, we decided to do uh, Abbey Road just because it was, yeah, I think the and some type of anniversary had come up upon it, I think. And so we performed like all of the songs from there. And then from there, we just kept, you know, trying to think of some different things. We would, you know, throw ideas around. Um, we'd, you know, try to work in with some contemporary things like uh, Bruno Mars's name came up and we said, yeah, let's go, you know, opposite direction. We did Carol King a year before Carol King got an honorary doctorate, which worked out well because we were able to do some of the same music and charts onto the, like the commencement concert the following year. And then when the Performance Center last year started celebrating birthdays, like the 100-year anniversary of when the theater opened, we did 100 years of music mm-hmm. for that. And then the following semester was, I think, the uh, 40th anniversary of when it became the Berkeley Performance Center. And so at that point, we did another show based on like the last 40 years of music. We've done Muscle Shoals, the great recording studio in uh, Alabama, like the music that was recorded there. Um, last year we did like a tribute to the year 1966 and the year 50th anniversary. So it's, you know, we just, you know, keep looking for things. And this particular one is obviously chosen for us. I was informed back in December that, uh, Elvis will be in the building. <laughs> it will be on this date. And we, the only decision we had was, do we do an all Elvis show or do we do like just one half of it? And when we found out how much was involved, like all the Elvis Presley Foundation people would be here that week doing presentations, we said, well, it's obvious we do an entire concert of Elvis. Yeah. And and like I said, it is the 40th anniversary of his death. So I'm sure that played into the decision Mm -hmm. to feature him. Well, that's going to be a great show. And uh, Ken Zambello, thank you so much for joining us at Inside Berkeley. Oh, you're welcome. A tribute to Elvis will be at 8 p.m. on Thursday, April 6th at the BPC. For more information, go to berkeley.edu slash events. For details about Elvis Week, see berkeley.edu slash focused slash ice slash Elvis hyphen week. This episode was engineered by student Andres Gonzalez in partnership with The Burn. I'm Kim Ashton for Inside Berkeley. 